Section thirty six of the Macdermots of Ballycloran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Macdermots of Ballycloran by Anthony Trollope. Section thirty six. Assizes at Carrick on Shannon. Part one. And now the assize week in Carrick-on-Shannon had commenced, and all was bustle and confusion, noise, dirt, and destruction. I have observed that a strong, determined, regularly set-in week of bad weather usually goes the circuit in Ireland in company with the judges and barristers, making the business of those who are obliged to attend even more intolerable than from its own nature it is always sure to be. And so it was in this case. On Tuesday afternoon, Mr. Baron Hamilton and Justice Kilpatrick entered Carrick-on-Shannon, one after the other, in the company of the High Sheriff and a tremendous shower of rain, which drenched the tawdry liveries of the servants, and gave a most uncomfortable appearance to the whole affair. The grand jury had been in the town since Monday morning, settling fiscal business, wrangling about roads, talking of tolls, checking county cesses and performing those various patriotic offices which they would fain make the uninitiated believe require so much talent industry and energy and as they were seen stepping over the running gutters and making the best of their way through the splashing streets their physiognomies appeared ominous of nothing good to the criminals whose cases had in the first instance to come before them Every lodging in the town was engaged, beds being let, sometimes three in a room, for the moderate sum of a guinea each for the week. The hotels, for there are two, were crowded from the garrets to the cellars. Happy the man at such a period, who enjoys a bedroom which he can secure with a key, for without such precaution the rightful possessor is not at all unlikely, on entering his own premises, to find three or four somewhat rough-looking strangers, perhaps liberated jurors, or witnesses just escaped from the fangs of a council, sitting in most undisturbed ease on his bed, eating bread and butter, and drinking bottled porter. Some huge farmer with dripping frieze-coat will be squatted on his pillow, his towel spread as tablecloth on the little deal table, which has been allotted to him as the only receptacle for his jug, basin, looking-glass, brushes, and every other article of the toilet, and his carpet-bag dressing-gown and pantaloons chucked unceremoniously into a corner off the chairs which they had occupied to make way for the damp friends of the big farmer who is seated on the bed this man is now drawing a cork from a bottle of porter the froth of which you are quite sure from the manner in which the bottle is held will chiefly fall upon the sheet between which you are destined to sleep unless some half-drunken ruffian regardless of rights of possession and negligent of etiquette deposits himself there before the hour at which you may think good to retire to rest fruitless and vain would it be for you to endeavour to disturb that convivial party better lock up your bag above all things not forgetting your brushes and as you are a witness yourself go down to the court and admire the ingenious manner in which the great barrister mr alwind is endeavouring to make that unfortunate and thoroughly disconcerted young man in the witness-box swear to a point diametrically opposite to another point 
to which he has already sworn at the instigation of counsel on the other side and thereby perjure himself never mind the bustling of eager curious countrymen never mind those noisy numerous policemen with the sunday brass chains caps push on through them all make your way into the centre of the court go down there right on to the lawyers benches never mind the seats being full plunge in if you hesitate look timid ask question or hang back you are lost thrust out expelled and finally banished with ignominy into the tumultuous sea of damp frieze coats which estuate in the outer court but go on with noise impudence and a full face tread on people's toes and thrust them back with by your leave and you will find yourself soon seated in direct view of the judge counsel witness and prisoner you will be taken for an attorney or at any rate for an influential court witness if you talk somewhat loud and frown very angrily in the face of the tallest policeman you may by the ignorant even be taken for a barrister in fact into court you must come there is no other place open to receive you the big room at the hotel in which we have been three times on such different occasions the long big room where mr McEwen presided over so many drunken spirits where poor Feemy made her last arrangements with her lover at the ball and where so soon afterwards she was brought forward to give her evidence touching his death while his cold body was lying dead on the table before her this long big room is now set apart for yet another purpose the grand jury are to dine there and already the knives and forks are laid out upon the long deal table the little coffee room so called though whiskey room or punch room or porter room would be much the more appropriate name unless indeed there is a kind of lucas a non lucendo propriety in the appellation is full nearly to suffocation there is not an occupied chair or corner of a table to be found large men half wet through reeking smelling most unwholesomely as the rain steams up from their clothes are keeping the cold out of their stomachs by various spirituous appliances the room is half covered with damp straw which has been kicked in from the passage the windows are closed and there is a huge fire burning on the other side of that moist mass of humanity on entering the room you feel that you breathe nothing but second-hand rain a sojourn there you find to be impossible the porter drinkers are still in your bedroom even on your bed upstairs what are you to do where are you to go back home you cannot you have a summons in your pocket you have been unfortunately present when mr terence o'flanagan squeezed the fair hand of miss letitia murphy false mr terence o'flanagan would not come to the matrimonial altar when required fair miss letitia murphy demands damages and you must swear to the fact of the hand having been squeezed as aforesaid who can tell when the case may come on rumor comes from the clerk of the peace town clerk or some other clerk who sits there in pride of place always conspicuous under the judge's feet and whispers that letitia murphy spinster is coming on next attorney's clerks have been round diligently to all witnesses especially as it seems to yourself warning you that the important hour is at hand that on no account may you be absent so much as ten minutes walk from the court 
vainly you think to yourself that it can hardly be of such vital import that you her father's friend saw little letty murphy's hand ensconced one evening in the brawny palm of that false lothario of flanagan yes of serious import it is if not to letty or to terence yet to that facetious barrister mr o'laugher who at your expense is going to amuse the dull court for a brief half-hour and of importance to yourself who are about to become the laughing-stock of your country for the next twelve months it is therefore evident that you cannot leave the filthy town with its running gutters the filthy inn with its steaming stinking atmosphere and bedroom porter drinkers for good and all and let lothario o'flanagan spinster letty lawyers alwind and olafa and justice kilpatrick settle the matter by themselves their own way but that you must willy-nilly in spite of rain crowd and offensive smell stay and help to settle it with them into court therefore return unfortunate witness other shelter have you none and now being a man of strong nerves except when put into a chair to be stared at by judge bar grand jury little jury attorney galleries etc etc you can push your way into a seat and listen with attention to the quiddities of the legally erudite mr allewind as on behalf of his client he ingeniously attempts nay as he himself afterwards boasts to the jury succeeds in making that disconcerted young gentleman in the witness chair commit perjury mr allewind is a most erudite lawyer he has been for many years employed by the crown in its prosecutions and with great success he knows well the art of luring on an approver or crown witness to give the information he wants without asking absolutely leading questions he knows well how to bully a witness brought up on the defence out of his senses and make him give evidence rather against than for the prisoner and it is not only witnesses that he bullies but his very brethren of the gown the barristers themselves who are opposed to him at any rate the juniors are doomed to bear the withering force of his caustic remarks no really i cannot suffer this witness don't answer that question the learned gentleman must be aware that this is irregular my lord i must appeal to you stop stop that can never be evidence and so on the unfortunate junior who fondly thought that with the pet witness now in the chair he would be surely able to acquit his client finds that he can hardly frame a question which his knowing foe will allow him to ask and the great mr allewind convicts the prisoner not from the strength of his own case but from his vastly superior legal acquirements how masterly is he in all the points of his profession as evinced in a criminal court with what becks and smiles and wreath nods he passes by his brethren on the prosecuting side and takes his seat of honour how charmingly he nods to the judge when his lordship lays down the law on some point of conformity with the opinion expressed by himself how rapidly he throws to the wind the frivolous excuses of some juror wishing to escape the foreseen long night's confinement how great is he on all points of panels admissible and inadmissible evidence replying and not replying how thoroughly he knows the minute practice of the place how he withers any attorney who may dare to speak a word on his own behalf 
whilst asking questions of a witness on behalf of an otherwise undefended prisoner how unceremoniously he takes the word out of the mouth of the in his opinion hardly competent junior barrister who is in with him how demosthenic is his language when addressing the jury on the enormity of all agrarian offences with what frightful fearful eloquence does he depict the miseries of anarchy which are to follow non-payment of tithes rents and taxes and with what energy does he point out to a jury that their own hearths homes and very existence depend on their vindicating justice in the instance before them mr allewind was never greater than in the case now before the court a young farmer of the better class had been served with some disagreeably legal document on account of his non-payment of an arrear of rent he had at the time about twenty acres of unripe oats on the ground for which the arrear was due and he also held other ground for which he owed no arrear on ascertaining that a distraint was to be put on the ground which owed the rent he attended there with a crowd of countrymen and would not allow the bailiff to put his foot upon the lands the next day the bailiff came again with police in numbers at his heels and found the twenty acres which had yesterday been waving with green crops utterly denuded every blade had been cut and carried in the night and was then stacked on the ground on which no distraint could be levied in twelve hours and those mostly hours of darkness twenty acres had been reaped bound carted carried uncarted and stacked and the bailiff and the policeman had nothing to seize but the long green uneven stubble the whole country must have been there the field must have been like a fair green the whole night each acre must have taken at least six men to reap there must have been thirty head of cattle of one sort or another dragging it home and there must have been upwards of a hundred women and children binding and loading there could at any rate be no want of evidence to prove the fact one would think so with two or three hundred people with their tools horses and carts but yet when the landlord determined on prosecuting the tenant there was not a person to be found who had seen the corn removed not one in fact people who had not seen as the bailiff had the corn covering the broad field one day and the same field bare the next began to think that the fact was not so and that the miraculous night's work was a fable it was certain that the bailiff had been deterred from entering on the ground but it was also certain that nothing but words had been used to deter him he had not been struck or even pushed he had only been frightened and it seemed somewhat plain that his faint heart only had prevented him from completing his seizure either that or some pecuniary inducement things were going badly with the bailiff particularly when in answer to mr olafer he had been obliged to confess that on the morning on which the seizure should have been made he had taken a thriffle of spirits a glass perhaps yes maybe two yes he had taken two three suggested mr olafer with a merely raised eyebrow he couldn't say that he had not taken three four again inquired mr olafer he didn't think he had taken four could he swear he had not taken four he would not swear he hadn't he would not even swear he had not taken five nor even six so conscientious a bailiff was he 
but he was nearly sure he hadn't and would swear positively he had not swallowed seven whereupon mr olafer most ill-naturedly put down his morning dram at three-quarters of a pint and asked the unhappy bailiff whether that quantity was not sufficient to make him see a crop of oats in an empty field it was going badly with the landlord and bailiff and well with the energetic night-working fraudulent tenant and would have gone well with him had he not determined to make assurance doubly sure a young man had been dining out and had returned home at twelve o'clock on the night of the supposed miraculous reaping he had at that hour walked home along the lane which skirted the field and had seen no men heard no noise nor perceived either reapers cars horses or any signs of work yet he had passed the very gate of the field through which the corn must have come out had it come out at all such was the effect of this young gentleman's evidence when he was handed over to mr allewind by mr olafer with a courteous inquiry of his brother whether he wished to ask that gentleman any questions mr allewind said that he would ask him a few questions and the young gentleman began to tremble mr green i think your name is began mr allewind yes sir and then it appeared that mr green absolutely remembered the night of the twelfth of september had heard the rumour of the corn having been removed but had not observed it growing there when he went to dinner had dined at the house of the prisoner's father about a mile beyond the field had certainly passed the very field could positively swear he was perfectly sober was certainly not carried by drunk had not observed the field especially could not say he had looked at the field as he passed had heard of the bailiff's retreat that morning did not think to look at the ground where the mob had been did not observe the place will positively swear he heard nothing was not walking in his sleep could not say he had looked at the field as he passed could not swear whether the oats were standing at the time or not whether the gate was open or shut whether or no men were in the field only he saw no one he believed it was moonlight why man what did you see asked mr allewind nothing particular had you your eyes open no answer now by virtue of your oath were your eyes open no answer come sir i must and will have an answer on your solemn oath were your eyes open when you walked by that field at last after various renewed questions the witness said no did you shut them by accident end of section 36 assizes at carrick on shannon part 1